Good morning. Today's Bible reading will be from Acts chapter 11, verse 19 to 27, and I'll be reading from the NIV. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be here on your birthday, the celebration of the anniversary of the Sunnybank Baptist District or District Baptist Church and um, 58 years. What an achievement. Um, Let me bring you greetings from the wider family of Baptist churches. Um, We're up to about something like 220 congregations around this state and um, they celebrate with you. I think the oldest church, Baptist church in Queensland, would be the City Tabernacle, and I think it's about 160 years old. And so um, that's a great sense of God's testimony and work in our area together. Um, This morning I want to talk to you about a theme that um, is a theme that churches across our family of churches um, are looking at this year and um, I can already tell from what Pastor Darrell has said that it's part of your um, goals and um, theme as well and that is the theme of discipleship. Um, Each year Queensland Baptist churches um, talk together and the leaders of the denomination come together and um, the themes are a sense of what God is already saying to us Um, But it's something that God enlivens us as a focus for which um, brings us together. Um, It's very interesting that um, your church, like every other church, um, probably is where you are now because discipleship has been part of what you are as a congregation of God's people. Um, How do I know that? Well... Sometimes you hear stories and last weekend I had the privilege of being up at Bundaberg at the men's camp. About 45 guys out in the dam um, or on the edge of the dam, not quite in the dam. Um, I was a bit worried because I'm a bit of a city boy and I thought, oh, I hope I don't have to sleep in a tent out in the bush. But they brought in a camper van and they let me sleep in a a real bed at one end of 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 a camper van, so that was great. But you talk to people. And there was a guy there who was about my age. And as we talked, um, one of the things that we had in common was that we both had gone to Sunnybank High School. Um, It was very interesting because he said he came from a non-Christian family. 
But there was a fellow in his year at school who was a Christian from Sunnybank Church. And he said that in his life, not only he but others in that group saw Christ in his life. And so he told the story about how um, they became involved in this church. They gave their lives to Christ. Um, They followed on and um, a number of those people are involved not just in this church but in other churches and other ministries today. So I think discipleship um, is something that's really important for us to reflect on at this time as we celebrate our anniversary. Now for those of you who find it hard to stay awake during the sermon, let me give you a little hint which will get you out of any trouble afterwards when people ask what it was about. Pastor Darrell has already really summarised my sermon very well because he's talked about discipleship when he talked about your mission statement. That is, we as God's people working with God in transforming people into passionate followers of Jesus. That's discipleship, isn't it? And when he talked about your focus for next year, um, in in 2016, transforming people from unbelievers to believers to growing believers to mature believers, that's the rest of what I wanted to say. So um, if you want to sort of capture the sense of what we're talking about this morning, that's it. Because when we talk about discipleship, Um, We're talking about a culture, a way of life, um, a series of relationships that we have each other. We're not actually talking about a program. We're not actually talking about some special studies that we might or might not do. Sometimes we actually fall into the trap of trying to turn everything into a program. I think this morning what I want to say is we're not thinking about a narrow understanding of discipleship. We're talking about a culture and a way of life that God calls every one of us to be involved with. What is it that Jesus calls us to do when he calls us to follow him? Well, he calls us to join in his mission that he commenced in his earthly ministry and then when he ascended back to be with God the Father, he commissioned us to follow on in that. You might say, well, what was Jesus' mission? And some people might say, well, he came to heal the sick and help the poor. There's no doubt that Jesus did those things and they were good things to do. But that wasn't his mission. That was because when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Some people would say, well, he came to do miracles and to demonstrate the power of God. Jesus certainly did that because he wasn't just human, he was divine. But if you look into the New Testament and to the Gospels in particular, like in Luke chapter 8, you see Jesus travelled around from one town and village to another proclaiming the kingdom of God. Jesus' mission was to proclaim the kingdom of God. And it makes sense then that when Jesus was departing to return to the Father and he spoke to his followers, he actually commissioned them. And we call it the Great Commission. And what did he tell his followers then and his followers down through the centuries that we are to do? To go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now it's very interesting there because you might ask yourself what is the main verb or the main force of that statement? And you might say, well, he told us to go, so we need to go into all the world. Yep, 
That's true. He talked about baptising people in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Very important. He talked about teaching them to command, the, um, follow the commandments that Jesus had given them. And that's really important. But the key verb is to make disciples. And all of those other things are part of that process, the fundamental process that God calls you and I to be involved in, and that is in terms of disciple-making. We need to think about this culture of making disciples in, in a broader sense. And I said it's not just like, um, you know, when somebody becomes a Christian, we do a, a course that is like a discipling course so that they get the basics of the Christian faith. Every one of us needs to be growing in our relationship with God. But there's another aspect to it too that you might not think of. And it's not only about Christians relating to other followers of Jesus, but it's actually about our relationship with those who don't know Jesus yet. To a world that needs to know the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think discipleship, the culture of discipleship, applies to our relationships with those who don't know Jesus just the same as it does as we grow in our relationship with him. Wasn't that part of your focus? Helping people to grow from unbelievers to believers um, and, and growing through. Last year I had the, um, the good fortune to be the chauffeur for an English evangelist named Dennis Pethers. Um, went to some interesting places and um, one of the places that I drove him to was a little country church in a, in a town called Woodford called the Stanley River Baptist Church. And as he was talking to the um, 30 or so people from that town who came to think about evangelism, he said, do you know what my definition of evangelism is? And so people got their pens ready and he said, my definition of evangelism is discipling people towards Jesus see discipleship developing a relationship investing sharing lives and and helping people to grow towards Christ as well as growing in our relationship with him as well discipleship is something that you and I are called to be involved in together or to be called to be involved in individually but it's something that as a church, there also needs to be a discipleship focus within us as a church. Um, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the Ephesians, he said the role of the church was to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I think what I'm trying to say is this thought about discipleship should be fundamental to our culture, to our relationships. Um, it is a transforming power of God within us, but it comes from the inside out. It's not pressed in from the outside in. Um, it's been a very interesting year. The um, convention that we had this year up at um, Mapleton, we had as our guest speaker Edmund Chan. Edmund Chan is a Singaporean pastor who came out and he has been led by God to speak not only within Singapore and the church that he, he raised up and was a senior pastor of for a number of years, but now he has a worldwide ministry in calling churches to be intentional, disciple-making churches. 
And there is a, 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 an energy in the call that he is calling churches to come and do that. In his book, um, one of his books, he calls it a certain kind, and he tries to describe what the church traditionally has seen as the characteristics of discipleship. And he says, first of all, the definition of a disciple, we normally talk about somebody who has come to Christ for eternal life. Yep, that makes sense. He said that most definitions talk about discipleship as being somebody who has claimed Jesus as their saviour and their Lord. We probably would all agree with that. He said that a definition of a disciple is somebody who has embarked on a life of following Jesus. And hopefully you're nodding there saying, yep, that's, that's, that makes sense when God calls us to be a follower of his and a disciple. But he says that in most definitions of discipleship, there is a fourth characteristic which is often overlooked. And he said this, a disciple is somebody who is multiplying spiritually by helping others to become disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's really the heart of it. That as disciples, um, we are following Jesus. We're living a life that's honouring him. But we need to be part of this spiritual multiplication that God wants to use. I'm hoping that as you came in, you received a card. Is that right? If you can look in your bulletin or whatever. Just wave a few of them so I can see somebody's got them. Got some? Can you take that out and have a look at that? Have a look at the side with the quotes on it. The discipleship, QB-focused discipleship, it says. What I want to think about is the, the bottom statement where it says this. Every Christian needs a Barnabas to receive encouragement, a Timothy to guide as a protege, and an Epaphroditus to enjoy on a peer level. And my sense of this culture of discipleship is not that some are mentors and some are learners, but that God is saying to every one of us, no matter how old or young we are in age, no matter how long we've been following Jesus, that all of this needs to come together, that we actually all need to be involved not only in being somebody who is learning and growing in our relationship, but sharing with somebody else. So for every one of us, we need a Barnabas to receive encouragement, a Timothy to guide as a protege, and Epaphroditus to enjoy on a peer level. This morning, I want to take the time remaining to focus on the person of Barnabas, in the New Testament and we had our Bible reading from the book of Acts chapter 11 and um, there are other references to Barnabas in the book of Acts particularly in towards the first half of that and um, I would just encourage us to think about it. Why do I want to focus on Barnabas? Because every one of us needs Barnabases in our lives to encourage us and every one of us also need to be Barnabases to others who we encourage. And it's not one or the other, it's both and at the same time. You know, we think of Barnabas in the New Testament and um, his name had something to do with encouragement as an encourager. 
And I actually think this whole idea of discipleship, that if all of us cultivated within our lives the qualities and the characteristics that Barnabas showed and we valued them as a community, um, we would actually see how God could raise up an intentional disciple-making church. Not because of a program, but because it would become out of the very people who we are. You know, every one of us needs Barnabases in our lives. People who encourage us. Not necessarily pastors or trained people or whatever. But there are people who can encourage us in our relationship with God. Sometimes I think about who have been the Barnabases in my life. And um, I think of a particular man when I was just 21. Um, I had grown up in Brisbane... Um, my, my father was killed when um, I was 14 years of age. He used to um, weld on big um, earth-moving equipment and there was an accident at work and he was killed. Um, my mother at 33 was widowed with six children. I was the oldest at 14. My youngest sister was one. Um, we were a migrant family. We came out from England when I was just a small boy so we had no relatives in this country. I grew up with a godly father, but at the age of 14, I lost him. God certainly looked after our family, and I, I, I often have rich sense of God being my father. But at 21, I left home. I'd studied, I'd become a school teacher. And um, there's a time, isn't there, when you leave home and you leave the security of the places that you know. And my first school teaching appointment was in a place called Biloela. Um, I didn't actually know where it was before. I got posted there, but I do know where it is now. And anybody who knows Billa Wheeler will be saying, why aren't you saying Billow? Because that's what all the locals say. But I was sent out to this place, um, thrown in with um, teachers in teacher housing. Um, you didn't even get to choose who you lived with. It was just on the roster. Um, and there was a sense in which my journey, although I had grown up and had been involved in youth group and ministry very key time of my development. You know, there was a, a man in the church at Biloela, his name was Tom Stevens. Um, he was American, so he would prefer if I told you he was a rancher, not a, not a cattle a grazier or whatever. Um, had about 60,000 acre cattle property, about an hour and a half out of town, he and his wife Janet um, and whatever. Tom wasn't a particularly um, educated man. He wasn't a minister. He wasn't um, overly um, um, important in terms of what you might think about ministry culture. But he was a man with a deep heart after God. And he sort of adopted me or they adopted me into their family. Um, you know, I used to go out there at weekends I used to love going out and checking the waters in the Jeep and talking with him and, and talking about life. He was a Barnabas to me, not because he had special knowledge, but because he opened up his life to me. Because he was able to share his journey with God and he was prepared to listen to me and allow me to share my journey with God. Now that's um, a long time ago. Um, he's now in his 80s. I, I visited him and his wife up in Bundaberg last weekend on my way to this camp. Um, the relationship there is strong, not as close. But here was a man who followed Jesus and was prepared to take in this city 
fellow who, who, who really was probably at the stage in life where he didn't know where he was going to go and invest in my life. Not tell me what to do, invest in my life, encourage me. And I believe all of us, we need Barnabases in our lives, but we also need to be Barnabases to others. And folks, what will transform and help this church to go forward will be if that culture was in every one of us. Not just a few isolated, gifted and special people, but in all of us. That we had a, a heart that would learn and grow in our relationships with one another, as well as investing in others. So here's five very quick characteristics of Barnabas that I believe God would challenge us to allow him to grow and develop in our life. Won't go too long. First one is this. Barnabas was a generous person. There was a generosity of spirit in Barnabas that meant that he was giving and willing to give. Um, years ago, we used to talk about when God calls on us to give, we used to talk about giving time, giving talents, giving treasure. It's not a bad summary, is it? That God wants to give us, us to give of our time. He wants us to give of our talents. He wants us to give of our treasures so that we might encourage others to grow in him. How do I know that he was generous? Well... If you go to Acts chapter 4, verse 36 and 37, there's a, there's a little story about Barnabas who was a, a, a core member of the new church, the emerging church that was growing in Jerusalem there. And it tells the story how he went and sold a plot of land and he came and brought that money and gave it to the apostles so God's work could continue. You say, how do I know that he did that out of a pure heart? Um, how do I know that he didn't do it in order to gain prestige or standing or people to say, oh, he's a pretty good guy because he's given a lot of money to the church? Well, in those days, if you didn't have a pure heart in this area, it was a very dangerous occupation because the very next chapter, chapter 5, tells the story of Ananias and Sapphira, who, who, who I guess saw what um, Barnabas had done and thought, this is pretty good because everyone held him in esteem and so um, they said, let's sell our block of land, but we don't really want to give all the money, but let's hold some back and keep it as our little secret. Do you know what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? Didn't happen very well. They carried them out and put them in boxes. They were struck down because they weren't really generous of heart. They were being deceitful in what God was doing. Barnabas was generous and if we're going to be um, disciplers, um, we're going to invest in people's lives. It's going to cost us time. It's going to cost us um, giving of ourselves and it's going to cost us in our resources. But isn't that what God calls us to do? 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each of you should give what you've decided in your own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Generosity is a spirit that God wants to raise up within us. There's a second characteristic about Barnabas that I want to mention, and this is in our reading this morning in Acts chapter 11, 22 to 24. Um, however he was gifted, he used that in order to encourage others. Um, Barnabas was not sort of a, a guy who was limited in his spiritual gifting and therefore he encouraged others because he couldn't do it himself. Um, when you read in the verses that we read, you see that he was extremely gifted in ministry. Um, you see that um, when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their heart. 
He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. A great number of people were brought to the Lord. Um, Barnabas um, was a prominent, gifted leader with a public ministry that had a great impact on that community to the point that many people became Christians. And yet here is the point. Barnabas didn't think, well, I am the main person and so I'm going to use my gifts and whatever. He had a heart that was always saying, how do I use my gifts to encourage others? How do I encourage others to grow in their ministry? Um, how do I not get all the limelight for myself, but how do I equip God's people? And you might say, well, if you're gifted, surely you have to use your gifts. Um, it's very interesting. Um, sometimes people who actually hold on to ministry and to the limelight and whatever, um, often find it hard to do that because other people will challenge them. And yet people who seek to give ministry away to build up others and to encourage them, um, the funny thing is that they're never without a job because people actually appreciate the fact that they're motivating others. God calls us with whatever gifts he's given to us not to just use them to draw attention to ourselves, but to use them to encourage others. Um, there's a third thing about Barnabas that I find very challenging and that is this, that he was very proactive. Barnabas was always looking for people who he could encourage to go forward in ministry. In the passage that we read in verse 25 and 26, he's gone to Antioch. The church is experiencing something of a revival. Um, he's, he's seeing God at work and realising that there needs to be more and more people who are involved in ministry. But, but he's discerning. You know, it's not that, oh, it's so busy, I need to get somebody else to help me. I'll look around the church and get a few people to come and help me. No, it's not that. He, 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 didn't, he didn't think in terms of um, getting people to come up from Jerusalem. Um, the way his mind worked was that he was actually watching and thinking about people all the time. And as we read that passage, it's almost like this. He thinks, well, remember years ago there was this guy called Paul. Um, he met Jesus on the Damascus Road and when he came back to Jerusalem um, and he wanted to meet with the apostles, all the apostles were really scared. But Barnabas had that sort of characteristic so he actually went and got Paul and took him and introduced him to the um, apostles in Jerusalem. Um, he was a guy who was about empowering others. You can read about that in Acts chapter 9. And so here's Paul now in Antioch and he thinks to himself, now Paul is the sort of fellow who could have a, a significant ministry here. Between Jerusalem and, and the situation in Antioch, Paul had gone back to Tarsus. Um, this wasn't a um, convenient thing for Barnabas to do because Tarsus was a long way away from Antioch. But what do we read? We read that he went to Antioch and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Sorry, he went to Tarsus. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians there for the first time. What's our attitude about ministry? We think, how am I going to achieve this task that's given to me? Imagine if all of us also had a heart to say, who could I include with me doing this ministry so that they might grow and develop in their walk? That's sort of what Barnabas was doing, wasn't it? 
taking somebody else who he, he, he discerned, and I'm sure God led him to have certain gifts, but providing a, an avenue in which that person could grow and develop. Fourth point is this. Um, Barnabas had a humility about him. There was a humbleness about him. If you were to start reading from about chapter 11 and keep reading through, um, about time you get to about chapter 13, things start to change. Because before that, it's talking about Barnabas and Paul. And what happens as you go through the book? It flips over and it starts talking about Paul and Barnabas. He had a humility. He took this guy in. He shared ministry. He, he, He released him into ministry. And he wasn't overwhelmed about the possibility that Paul would actually do greater things, um, be more effective, um, have a wider ministry than he would. That's the heart of a discipler. Not, not the glass ceiling thing that says, oh, I'll encourage people to a certain level, but if they, if they seem to be as good at the ministry as I am, well, that will be a bit threatening and um, I'll pass them on to somebody else. God wants to put in our hearts a willingness to encourage people to be far better than you and I will ever be. That's a blessing to the church, isn't it? That's, that's God's kingdom, that we have a desire that people will grow in their relationship with God and their ministry, that they will be far better than ever we are. You know, that through history, you hear some of the people who have been prominent in church history and you read the stories and, and inevitably there was somebody before them who mentored them, whether it was a Sunday school teacher, a, a preacher in a little chapel somewhere and whatever. God wants us to have a heart that wants to celebrate as we release people to do more ministry than what we do. Um, John the Baptist gives us the clue when he talks to Jesus and said, um, you must increase, I must decrease. That's the heart we should have because it's not our ministry, it's God's ministry. We're investing in those who come on. By the time you get to Acts chapter 15, one last characteristic that I want to point out to you about Barnabas, and that is that um, he persevered when things didn't go right. Sometimes we might think, oh, look, it'd be great. Let's get some promising person. Let's invest in them. And then there will be this sense of moving forward. But when we actually invest in people's lives, um, when things don't go right, it's easy to say, oh, well, look, that was a waste of time. I'll go somewhere else. Um, Our our 21st century society doesn't help much because we're into success mentality, aren't we? Whereas God calls us to be committed in relationships. And if you go to Acts chapter 15, verses 36 to 40, um, there you have an account where Paul and Barnabas are talking together about going on a ministry journey to go and visit the churches who they'd ministered to beforehand. And there becomes a sharp dispute. Acts 15, verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers of the grace of the Lord. This was quite a significant disagreement. Don't think too hardly of Paul, because Paul may well have made the right decision. Here was a guy who had come into a ministry situation and he had fled and had let the team down. 
I don't know all the circumstances about that, but Paul might have been right in saying, no, look, you know, there was, this is not the right thing to do. But I love the heart of Barnabas because Barnabas, who was investing in Mark, was saying, well, that's okay, but I'm not going to just cast Mark off in order to go on this ministry trip. And so he continued to, um, to mentor and to encourage John Mark. Um, God blessed that heart, didn't he? Because if you read in the New Testament about John Mark, there are a couple of things which tell us that even though John Mark had a dismal failure in one sense, God wasn't finished with him yet either. Um, the Apostle Paul, for example, in 2 Timothy 4.11, much later, says um, this, get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. Um, if you read the Gospel of Mark, you probably realise that Mark who wrote the Gospel, this Mark that we're talking about, um, had a very close relationship with the Apostle Peter. And so much of that gospel was, comes out of that relationship. 1 Peter 5.13 um, closes with this, with Peter saying, Greetings from my son Mark. They were very close. So when we think about allowing God to work in us, we need to ask God to help us and we need to be cooperating with God, to be generous people to be people who encourage others using our gifts that God has given us. We actually need to be proactive, discerning, asking God, who can I share with, who can I help with? We also need to be humble. Um, it's not my ministry, it's God's ministry. Thank you, Lord, for join, asking me to join you in that. And we need to be persevering and um, not just looking for easy success, but to invest in people for who they are. It's relationship, it's not program. I want to close by saying this. Many years ago, when I was a very young pastor, um, we had a, um, a fellow come to our church. His name was John MacArthur. He was a fairly well-known preacher in those days. Um, he preached from the book of 2 Timothy. And one of the things he said that I've never forgotten was this. He said, it's the duty of every Christian to find somebody who knows more along the journey and to learn from them everything you can and to find somebody who is a newer Christian, who, who knows less, is not as long on the journey as you, and to share everything you know. And I think that's what we're talking about. If you take your card and have a look on the back, you'll see there where it talks about Barnabas and Timothy. It talks about Epaphroditus, who was one of those fellow labourers with Paul, who he speaks about so much appreciating doing ministry together. And then on the other side, there is a... Um, where it says peer group, and that's really saying, who are the groups where we come together to do ministry together, brothers and sisters in the Lord? And I want you to take a moment of reflection, and I want you to think about what names you would put on that card. Who is your Barnabas? Who are your Barnabases? Who is your Timothy? Who are your Timothys? Who is your Epaphroditus? Who are your Epaphrodituses? Who are the people who you're doing ministry together, brothers and sisters in the Lord? What are the associations where you together are serving the Lord? Take a minute to reflect and think about what names would you put there?
For some of you, that might be an easy task. You might say, that's really easy to do. But it's not how easy it is to put names there. Because I reckon the challenge for me and the challenge for you is this. If we can't think of a name there, what name should be there? Who would God have me to have a ministry of encouragement to that they might grow? Who would God have me to seek out, to seek to learn from them about the Christian faith? If you've got a blank there or, or you're thinking of other people, that's, that's really what today's about. If we're going to be involved in the focus that we have, the mission that we have as a church, then if every one of us was being a Barnabas, if every one of us was being a Timothy, if every one of us was doing that all at the same time, um, that would transform not only us but our community as we did that. And it's not just in-house, is it? Because it's out-house as well. It's about evangelism as well. Who is the person that we're relating to and building a relationship so that we'd have a context in which we can share the good news of Jesus with? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the good news that we can be in relationship with you. You call each of us to be your followers. And yet, Father, um, for some of us, for many of us, sometimes we get caught up in the process, in the organisation and in the programs. And Father, you call us to be involved in each other's lives, investing in one another. Father, help us to um, invest and share and encourage others to grow in their relationship with you. Father, help us to be hungry and to seek after others and invite them to speak into our lives as well. And Father, I want to pray for this church. Um, Father, in 58 years, we look back and we say thank you for where you've brought us this far. But Father, your word tells us that when we seek you, that you can answer our prayers in ways even beyond which we would imagine or, or anticipate. And that I pray, Lord, that as this church moves forward, it will grow in depth, it will grow in influence, it will be a blessing in this community. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much.